heavy metal the way it was meant to be. Classic 80s Underground. On blogtalkradio.com, the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. With your host, Mike the Big Cheese.
All right, welcome back for another edition of the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. And tonight I got a great one for you. Our first guest of the year, we have Mick Percy from Battleax and calling in later on Ray LeGrand from Oblivion Myth. But Tommy, what's going on? You must be a happy guy. Hockey's back in business. Yeah, back in business, finally, huh? There you go. The Keep your kings, for the rest. The three kings of the East granted uh, <laughs> me a Christmas present. There you go. So at least you have something to keep you busy when football season's over. Yeah, I don't. You know, I yeah, I watch football. You know, I didn't even watch it much today. You know, because my Giants are not in, and I'm not into it. You know, maybe, maybe the Super Bowl. Obviously, I'll watch the Super Bowl. You know. I hear you. I hear you. All right. Well, we're gonna get things going early tonight because uh, our first guest, Mick Percy of Balax, he's gonna be on live with us, and it's getting very late. Over where he is, so we're gonna give him a call right now, get him going. I feel like crap still. I see you got the cold I had last oh week. Oh my god, I've been dying this week. I feel oh, a little man. better today, but it's, I can't kick it. You know, it's a, this is a rough flu season so far. It is. It is. All right. Well, let me, let me get this uh, Skype thing going here and see if I can. Uh, okay. We have trouble. Add people to this call. Let's see if that works. Uh, that's such a pain in the ass doing this. It's gotta be an easier way. Let me see. Yeah, everybody just hang on. Let me connect Nick if I can. Add to call. I think that's how you do it. All right, that should work. Uh, that should have worked, right? Oh. Yeah. Hi. Nick, is that you? Yes, Mick. Oh, how you doing, Mick? It's Mike. How are you? I'm very fine, yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you okay. Uh, I... I apologize. I'm sick as a dog, so my voice is kind of shot, but we can hear you loud and clear. Yeah, you sound fine, Mick. All right, thank you. Uh, Mick, it's great to have you on here today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on the show, Mike. Uh, big fan of Battle Axe, and I'm more excited that after 20-something years, you guys yeah. finally got a brand new record coming out, Heavy Metal Sanctuary. Yeah, we certainly have. It took some time, but we finally got there in the end. Uh, I'm glad. I've been playing some of the tracks. I'm going to get one on during the show today. And you guys right. just cranked it up a notch. I mean, compared to the old stuff, it's just tenfold. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we've learned a few more. We've learned a few new chords, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was a, a difficult decision which songs to put on the album, which ones to leave off. But uh, as a band, we're very happy with it. Um, you know, we'll give ourselves a pat on the back and... You know, we move for we move forward from here. And you know, exactly. we'll see what the rest of the year is going to bring for us now that we've actually got an album out. Well, getting the album out was the first thing. That's a big deal. But you go back to the beginning of the band. The first two records come out, and then you join the band after that. What happened after you joined the band? Because we were, I was expecting an album or something else, and I heard that there was an album recorded back then, but it was yeah. never released. Yeah, I joined the band in 1984, believe it or not. Um, so I've been in quite a while. Uh, and then we had we decided to go up to a five piece, and we had different guitarists coming in and out, um, and then they left for whatever reason, personal reasons or whatever. Um, so it was a bit of a, re, a bit of a revolving door of musicians at that time. And we, yeah, we did. We started work with Fred Purser, who was a, from the Tigers of Pantang. Yeah, he was a very good friend of ours, and uh, we started work with him. Uh, he was building a studio at the time, but it took him two years to build his studio. Uh, so we were waiting around for that. And then when we finally got in and started recording, uh, we ran out of money and we, we couldn't get enough from the record company to carry on the project, so it got shelved. 
So we left it for a while, and then obviously there was the, the decline of the new wave of British heavy metal thing altogether from the late, the late 80s, early 90s, uh, as you know yourself, Mike. Yeah. Uh, it, was t- it was a tough time for bands like us then. And it just got to the point where, well, well, you know, lads, you know, we've had a good run. Let's let's just leave it there, you know, for now. And so, yeah, we, we, we there was a shelved album which was done on two inches, you know. Uh, it's got shelved. But in a, in a way, I'm pleased that album didn't come out because we were going through a transitional time. At that time, the music was very different then. And we, we didn't really know what to do for the best. I mean, uh, heavy metal, as we knew, with British metal has become so unfashionable. There was that much American influence, you know, bands like Motley Crue and all that, Bon Jovi and all that kind of thing. So if we had brought that album out, it would have been a bit lightweight compared to what we've put out now. Uh, did, did you take, did any of the songs from that album make it onto the new one or anything else or parts of it? Or was that yeah. the shelf completely? Yeah, I, I think we, we, we did. We, we rewrote a couple of the tracks and, and Dave wrote some new lyrics. And uh, made them better, really. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pleased. So there is on this album there is a few tracks that were originally from that session, and we we've just reworked them and made them better. Oh, that's good. But yeah, I, I know, like you say, like in the late '80s, early '90s, just heavy metal and hard rock in general fell out of fashion everywhere. You know, all over the world. I mean, it just died out. Did you just give yeah. up the music completely after that, or did you keep going with different projects or, or different bands? Yeah, different projects. I mean, we all stayed friends, and you know, now and again, I'll get together with Dave and Brian, and we we start messing around with new ideas. But it was just sort of in spare time between other projects and things, you know. Then we all had businesses and families to bring up and things like that. Uh, and you know, then the internet come along, uh, and then we start, you know, MySpace and all that type of thing. We start getting lots of uh, messages saying, "Hey, battle axe and all that type of thing," you know. Uh, it's great to find you guys after all these years, and when you're going to reform, and when you're going to bring a new album out. Lots of questions, lots, lots of issues. Uh Mick, I think we lost you there with the connection. Three release, the two albums. You've lost me connection. Nah, you're back. You're good. Hi, Mike. Are you there? Yep. Can you hear me? I'm back. Okay, I got you. You were talking yeah, about the two okay. albums. Yeah, Dave re-released the two albums um, around about, I think it was 2005, I think, on, on the CD. And that helped to generate a lot of new interest for the band. And we've got friends in other bands in the Northeast, you know, like the uh, Blitzkrieg and the Tigers were, were telling us things like, hey, you, you guys should get back together. You know, they've been all playing gigs in Germany, etc., and they saw, you know, fans with Battleaxe T-shirts on in the audience, and we weren't even together. So, you know, we start to think, hmm, yeah, maybe the time is right. Were you surprised about the, you know, the amount of interest in the band? Because, like you said, before the internet, you really had no way of finding out, you know, what people thought, or you know, if they remembered yeah. you or anything like that. Did it surprise you? you yeah, exactly. It, it now, now everything because of the internet, everything you hear or see is the real deal. Uh, compared to back then, you, you, you know, you had managers and people telling you what was supposedly true, and you didn't know whether you were getting the truth, you know. Yeah. Uh, but now, obviously, you know, the truth, everything's wide open now, which is great. It's the way it should be. Um, so yeah, we so as a tester in about two, I think 2007, uh, we did the Chopper Tad video. Yeah. And that generated a huge amount of interest. Uh, so then we went on in 2010 to play Headbangers Open Air, 
and we had a fantastic response from that gig. And I mean, ever since we've been getting, you know, uh, lots of requests to do gigs all over the world. But you know, the t times are tough, and you know, it costs a lot of money to go around the world doing gigs. So you know, we thought, right, we'll get the album done, and then we can take it from there. But yeah, the response has been excellent. It's been brilliant response, every gig we've done. Uh, but then obviously in the last year, we've had to take a year off from gigging so that we'll actually get the album finished because of the limited studio time. We've, we've done the album on a limited budget. So, you know, we could only get in with, with Fred Purser, the producer, uh, you know, at certain times. And it was no, no good sort of scheduling gigs. And then not being able to get into studio time. So that's why we haven't gigged for a year. But well, uh, it's about to change, I think. Well, at least the good thing about that is that we're going to get the album. And that was, I guess, priority one is getting the new music out there. And I tell you, people, when they hear this, they're going to love it because, uh, I mean, it, bring, it brings back the old battle acts, but it sounds like a modern version of the band. Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly what we, we hope to achieve. And I'm, I'm pleased that, that, that you've said that, Mike. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense to us. But that's how we feel about it as a band. It's like... It's still 80s, but it's modernized a bit, you know? Oh, definitely. And w was that like a priority? Because I know a lot of bands, they don't want to sound dated, and other bands want to sound exactly like they used to years ago, but you're talking 20, 30 years between, you know, when you guys first started doing it to now, and obviously you've grown as musicians, you've had, you have different interests in music, and you want to incorporate that all to your songs, I guess, today. Yeah. I mean, luckily, we, we have actually put an album together of songs that we're all happy with, but we, we like it, you know? And if the fans like it, that's a bonus. But, you know, it's an honest album, you know. That, that's Battle Axe. That's the way we sound and that, that's the way we feel, which is, was great to get that out and get it on a record. Uh, and you did that, I have to say. And do you find it better to, like, as a band these days? Because, like it says, the economy is tough. It's hard going on the road and touring. Is it yeah. better to just hit the big festivals, like, you know, throughout the summer season? Where yeah, that, that, that seems to be the concept these days, you know. That, that, that seems to be what other bands are doing. You know, like, like so all your other new wave of British heavy metal bands, like the Tigers of Pantang and, you know, Blitzkrieg, those, those lads, that I think they all, you know, pick it strategically, you know, because it's the only way you can do it, you know, the, the cost of touring in vans, the PA systems and lights and all that, you know, it, it's it's different now. You, you know, you can't you can't do that what you could do in the 80s. Um, plus, they've, they've tightened up all the, the rules of shipping your equipment around, you know, or if you're carrying too much weight and things like that. So it makes a lot of sense to, to basically just target the festival. But at the same time, we would like to get out on a bit of a European tour this year as well. So, you know, we've got a lot of things to think about. We're talking about a lot of things behind the scenes with a few people. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, I think, you know, I think we, we could be getting out there and doing quite a bit in Europe this year. Well, that's good for the band. I know the festivals are a great thing for bands because you get to play in front of a large audience and they get to hear all your music where you got to schlep yeah. across different, especially if you come to the United States, you got to schlep across this whole country and you're lucky if you could draw 20 or 30 people into a crowd because people just don't want to go out. Do you find it to be the same way where you guys are? Because we can't get people to the shows. It can be, yeah, it has been the same in England, but it is getting better. I mean, in the Northeast, um, you know, a lot of the, the new wave of British heavy metal bands, as you know, have got back together. And with this, uh, there's a, the old fan base there, plus the young fan base, you know, as, as lads in the 20s and that, who were right into the, the new wave of British heavy metal. And, the, you know, they're rallying together and they're organizing gigs themselves. They're putting shows on, they're getting a, a bunch of bands on. 
and uh, it's taken off. They're doing really well. Everybody's having a really good time, and uh, you know, more power to them. It's great. It's, it's you know, it's great to say. I never thought I'd ever see it come back to the magnitude that it's come back, and it actually seems to be getting bigger. It's, it hasn't just been a flash in the pan thing that a lot of people thought it would be. It is actually snowballing and getting bigger and bigger, which is, you know. Oh, I, I agree. Do you notice that there's a lot of younger kids coming to the shows where, you know, you kind of wouldn't have seen that years ago. You know, you wouldn't go to see your parents' bands exactly. and music, but the kids today, they're into this music. They, they, they're right into it, and it's unreal. Um, it's, it's, it's quite mind-blowing, actually, you know. You, you know, you'll see guys our age, and, and you'll see, like, guys in the 20s you know, standing next to them, and you know they, they, they've got the, the leather jackets on, and, and, and the cut-off denim jackets with all the patches on, just like it was in the 80s. You know, except the, the young guys, are, you know, they've, they've got all the technology that the technology that we didn't have back then. You know, I mean, back then in the 80s, when when I first joined Battleaxe, I didn't even have a telephone. If I wanted to ring someone, I'd put the phone box down the end of the street about half a mile. You know, so it it is it's crazy, but it's good. It's crazy in a good way. That's true. When we talk about the new record, are you guys going in this on your own? Because it seems like everybody's going back to the old ways of doing it yourself compared to, like, you know, the record yeah. industry is, like, in shambles anyway. But Yeah. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, Mike, we tr we, we started off doing it ourselves. Uh, and it was going to be, like, a demo album, self-produced and, you know, all that type of thing. And we got so far into it, and some of the songs were sounding really good. And some of them weren't sounding quite so good. And then the argument started amongst the band, which we didn't want because we're good friends and we shouldn't really be falling out over something like this. So then we, we got back in touch with Fred Purser, who's been you know a lifelong friend of Battle Axe. And he agreed that he would help us come in and he would be like the arbitrator uh, to help us put it together. I mean, Fred Purser's a great musician, a great producer, a great engineer, and his expertise, you know, we all look up to him a bit. And uh, that really helped us get it together to stop us from arguing. <laughs> that was the thing. Um, so, yeah, we did intend to self-produce it in the beginning. Um, and we've started working on the next one. You know, we've already started. We've got a few songs and ideas in the pipeline for the next album. And, you know, whether we'll use Fred again or not, I'm not quite sure yet. I'll have to talk to the guys about that. But we've certainly learned a lot about it, you know, since the old days of two-inch tape and things. And, you know, now we're, going, we're at the digital age now and Pro Tools and all that type of thing. So, you know, it's been a bit of a learning curve. We've had a lot to learn, uh, but we're, we're getting there. And anyway, you've got the album, and, you know. Um, you can hear what it sounds like. Uh, it sounds great. You're talking about the recording process. Do you, do you prefer it the way it is today compared to the way it was back then, like with the two-inch reel tapes? Um, I personally prefer it now because, you, you, you know, you don't have to rewind the tape backwards and forwards. You don't have to wait for that. Uh, that's one good thing. Um, plus, it's easy if you want to share files and this sort of thing uh, between each other and ideas. Um, the recording process it, itself, it, it, is, it is easier. Yeah, the, the tools are better. You know, you go in the studio now and you get a, a pretty good sound straight away. Back in the 80s, that wasn't the case. I mean, you know, Burmese Town album, I mean, the, the production uh, by today's standards is quite sort of laughable really uh, but there's an energy on our album where which you know which captured what the band was like at the time where you know you, you know you can't argue with that um so yeah i think you lose a little bit of that spontaneous creative process um but production wise that you get a better result so I yeah think, 
we, we try to get that balance on this album. We tried to make it sound a little bit raw, but a little bit produced at the same time. It was a bit of a tall order, you know? I, I know exactly what you're saying. You want to have that raw energy, but yet you want it to sound polished and trying to mix the two together. Uh, yeah. It's probably hard finding that middle ground. It is. And that, I think that's been the, the biggest problem, is, is you know, trying to marry the two technologies or the, the idea of the two technologies, you know, to try and still get it sound a bit 80s would still sound quite heavy and bumping, you know? I do. Did you ever think about re-recording some of the old songs again? Because a lot of bands are doing that today. And Or do you think they should just be left alone the way they are? Um, yeah, we have discussed that. Um, we did actually think about re-recording Burn This Town altogether. We, we, we did think about that. And I don't know, it might be something we might do in the future. I'm not quite sure. But uh, do, you do know there's a re-release of Burn This Town coming out in the next two months, don't you, Mike? Yes, I do. The 30th, the 30th anniversary of Burnley's Town. Amazing, 30 years. 30 years, yeah. It makes me uh, feel old just thinking about it. I remember going to the yeah. store and buying it. Yeah, really does. Uh, the Radio One session is going to be on that album as well. Oh, great! Uh, in good quality. Uh, it's been remastered, and it, it sounds you know a bit, a bit brighter and a bit punchier than the earlier, the, the original vinyl album. So it sounds a bit punchier, and the, and the top end is a bit better. Um, so yeah it's, you know with the old recordings like I know compared to today's standards they can't compare but back when they came out they sounded great to me because like you said it was that, that raw energy that was evolved with the record when you when you listen to the old stuff when you recorded it did it bother you back then how it sounded uh, it bothered Brian the bass player who's the founder member of the band uh, he, he was after a much bigger production at the time which you can tell if you listen to the Radio 1 session you can hear how that came out. It's a lot punchier and a lot brighter. It's, it still has the raw energy, uh, but, but it, it is a little bit more, it's better, obviously better produced than the original Burmese Town tracks. And the band actually did want to re-record it at the time, but the, the record label at the time just took that, what was actually demos. I mean, Burmese Town, the album is actually a collection of demo songs, really. Uh, and it was just lucky that it took off the way it did. You know, but I think if if, uh, the, if the band could have got its way, they would have went with uh, the production values of the Radio One session. I I completely understand. I don't blame them. But people are going to get the best of both worlds on the new record. When do you think we're going to see the new album? Well, that's now in the hands of the record label, uh, Lim Music in Germany. Uh, they're taking care of that, so they've got to schedule that. I know they've got other releases coming out, so we just have to wait our turn. Uh, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be too long. I, I would imagine it'll be out within a couple of weeks after the re-release of Burning Town. I think that's coming out first, and then this record's coming out. Uh, we've got a video coming out to this as well. Uh, that should that should be should have been out in December, but Paul's had a few few technical delays there, um, getting the editing sorted out. But he's working hard on that, and that's that's the next couple of weeks. We should have a really good video there out on YouTube to to Heavy Metal Sanctuary, the title track. Excellent. How, how do you look at things today compared to like back in the 80s? Because like you said, you had the internet today, uh, YouTube. Yeah. Back in the 80s, it was MTV and, you know, a couple of magazines that were out like Circus and Hipparator and Metal Forces, yeah. Kerrang, you know, Sounds. How, how is it today like to promote the band compared to back in the 80s? Do you find it easier today to get the name of the band out? It's a hell of a lot easier that way on. Um because back then you, you were you, you know you were relying on, on sounds and current like, just like what you said, Mike. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, and if if the if, if the editors didn't like you, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, you you were screwed basically. 
you know, uh, if the fear that you know other bands will be yours, uh, it didn't really matter how many fans you were getting, they could literally pull the plug on you just by pushing a band that they like more, you know. True. And and I think kids were a lot more more impressionable then and read, read the magazines and believed everything that they read, you know. I think there was a bit of that went on then. Uh, so you know, the magazines really would really push new bands as they did with the American stuff. I remember when the Kerrang first came out around about '81. You know, every week you would have features on new up and up and coming heavy metal bands from from different towns and cities in in the UK, uh, and it was, it was all the DIY approach. Uh, we were all you know doing our best to promote ourselves, make our own posters, going fly posters them, stuff like that, doing small gigs, pub gigs, playing anywhere we could, Re- really working hard, and then s- suddenly, you know, Kerrang in their wisdom would start splashing American bands across a British magazine, you know, and, and basically said to the kids, this is the way it's going. You know, they forced the hand at that time, in my opinion. I remember how it changed over in a matter of time, and they yeah. took the focus off the, the the bands from their own country and focused yeah. it on somewhere else, and, you know, it should have been that way, but like you said, it was all up to the editors and how they wanted to go with it. Yeah, it was, the, the times were different then. Times were a lot different and, and things were tougher. Uh, and now it's it's brilliant now. As you say, with the technology, you know, mobile mobile phones and internet, it's you know, if, you, if your news is good and people like it, you know, you can you can get it out there. Uh, no problem now. You know, you can find any band you want. You know, as we all know now that you can, you know, that you can do that now. You know, but back then it, it, it was tough to. You know, get your head above the the sea of other bands that was there. It was was tough, you know. Yeah, the whole the whole industry is tough. The whole business. I don't think anything changed. I think the the, the saddest part is that, you know, as far as the record labels go, especially the major ones, uh, there's no support no more. There's no signs. It's like every band is forced to do it on their own now. Yeah, to a large extent, you're on your own. You know, um, I mean, we're very lucky with uh, with Lim Music in Germany, uh, with the, the distribution network that they've got. You know, um, so that that's going to make a difference to see if we put it out on our own. You know, which we were we were actually planning on putting it out on our own in the beginning, um, but then you know, Lim stepped in and sort of said, "Look, you know, we'll do this," and it was like, "Well, yeah, great, yeah, good call." Yeah. Also, you know, like today with the with the internet and, and people downloading music, they can go pretty much onto any. Website and get an album for nothing. Does that? Yeah. I mean, besides affecting the band financially, because you know that's money that comes out of your pocket. I mean, is it when you see like your album sales, where you says you know Battle X sold 500 records, but meanwhile they downloaded 10,000 copies of the album yeah. on the internet. You know, how does that affect the band? Well, that's it. I mean, if you can't, like in the old days, you could you could make a bit of money on on, on album sales, but even back in the 80s, it wasn't that brilliant uh, unless you were you know Saxon, Motorhead. Death Leopard or whoever, you know, that, that them bands sold a lot of records and, and they obviously became much, much bigger bands. Uh, but but now you, you know you're not you're not really going to sell great volumes of, of CDs or, or even vinyl. You know, it, it's it's the hardcore people. Uh, you know, and that's what I like about metal fans. Metal fans do go and buy albums, uh, but they want to hear they want to hear the album first before they spend the hard-earned cash. You know, so. Uh, that's why guys like you are great, Mike. You know, you know, you're gonna do a bit push and play play some songs, you know, and and that that, that means that the listener can make an informed choice then whether they want to go whether they want to go and buy buy it or not, you know. 
Yeah. Um, but but then, you know, I think bands can only really make any money uh, touring-wise, uh, uh, merchandise, things like that. I think they've got to find other ways. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a whole different market today. You don't know which way to go to, like, you know, market the band to make money because... You know, like, as much as you love the music, you still want to get paid for what you put into it. And it's a job, and you should get paid for it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're not, you know, we're not saying we, you know, we want, we're not, you know, we're not breaded. We're not saying, you know, we want, like, thousands and thousands of pounds or whatever like that. Yeah, but you, if just to break even, just to get your expenses will be nice. I mean, I know that lasts over years. You know, we have lost a lot of money on gigging and touring, you know, things, you know, where, you know, you blow some speakers or, you know, yeah the van breaks down and things like that, you know, that you can't keep on putting money into something forever, you know. Um, so, you know, you need a bit of a pop there, you know, a bit of a kitty going on. Sure. It's a lot of the kids today because they they kind of expect everything for free and instantaneously. You know, yeah. an album today is cheaper than it was back in the 80s. A concert yeah. ticket to a lot of the clubs in New York where we go to see shows are cheaper than they were back in the 80s. So there's really no excuse not to spend five, six, ten dollars and, and just buy it. Buy the album, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, you know. And, but I think heavy metal fans do do that eventually, you know, once they hear an album. They, you know, they might have heard it on a legal download or a friend of them might have burnt them a CD or whatever. And if, they, if they like it, they will go and buy it, you know. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's like trying to stop the tide, trying to stop a legal download and... You know, once it's out there, it's out there, you know, you, you can't really stop it. Yeah, I know, it's hard. Well, you know, a big thing today is, like, vinyl is starting to make a, a little bit of a comeback, uh, especially yeah. for the collectors and the older people. And I see a lot of people buying vinyl records for $20, yeah. $25, and that's, I think, a good way of, you know, maybe bands making some money. Yeah, well, maybe, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it should should come out on vinyl because, you know, there's a lot of people, especially rock fans and metal fans, that, who have got a lot of vinyl. You know, um, obviously, uh, it makes a lot of sense to bring your album out on vinyl as well, which is something we have talked about. In fact, I'm almost certain that the album will come out on vinyl at some point as well. That's so, great. There's nothing like a vinyl record. That big, thick, rich sound, the, the everything yeah. inside of it. There's nothing like vinyl to me. Well, yeah, it's, I think it's an acquired taste these days. I mean, I think I prefer CD now. Really? Yeah, I, I had the vinyl on a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the, the needle was a bit dusty. <laughs> and I put it on and, and, I, and I spun it. And I could I could hear the top end wasn't quite as clear. So I'm thinking, right, do I need a new stylus now? And I looked at the cartridge and it was an autophone cartridge. I think they're about £100. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so I thought, uh, I'll just get the CD player out instead. <laughs> there you go. You're better off. Yeah. Hey, Mick, I'm going to have to let you go because i got to yeah. get some songs on by the band. But listen, I, I can't wait for this album to come out. I'm going to promote yeah. it like Calatoa does and after it comes oh, out. Thank you very much, Mike. And, and yeah. I can't thank you enough for coming on here today. Hey, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank Sorry. you. How about, how about we get the title track in a record on, Heavy Metal Sanctuary? Yeah. Cool. That'll be cool. All right, Mick. Thank you very much, buddy. I appreciate your call today. Right. Right. See you then. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. Behold!
All right, that was Eric Steele with Martial Law. I almost forgot about that band. And before that, I gave you another Battle Axe song over there, Radio Thunder. And then you heard some brand new tonight, Battle Axe with Heavy Metal Sanctuary coming off the new record. Yeah, it was really good. You know, Eric Steele, he has, they had a couple of records out. Uh, but I, I don't remember the, the name of this album, uh, but it, it was one of the better ones by that. But I can't remember if they were from New Jersey or. You talking about Martial Law? Uh, no, this is uh, Eric Steele. Eric Steele. Where's yeah, the name from? of the the name of the album, the name of the song was Martial Law. I think it was. Uh, oh, I'm down sorry. Back for more. I thought you were talking about the band Martial. Let me see, Martial. Was... Yeah, it was off the record. Uh, oh. Back for more from 1992. Uh-huh. I had to look that one up. I couldn't remember. Yeah, everybody thought that, you know, the band was named after somebody, but uh, it's just Eric Steele. Oh, I see, I see, I'm sorry. Yeah. Kind of stupid to name it, you know, give like a band a guy's name, like, you know, because people oh, thought that's who they were. Oh, maybe they tried something like that. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> They're from stupid. Chicago. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were a good band, but the, the earliest stuff is more like, I don't want to say hand metal, but more like generic. Yeah, yeah. That last record was pretty good. It was one of the better ones, I would have to say. Yeah, we had a lot of bands. I mean, you say East Coast, Jersey, you say? Uh, Chicago. I thought they were from oh. New Jersey, but they're from oh. Chicago. Yeah, there was a lot of East Coast bands that um, had that rough look, but, you know, had that, like, sort of Motley Crue poison sound. Yeah. Because that's what the girls liked, you know? I know. I know. But we didn't... <laughs> I, get, I could never... I mean, I could never do that with, with uh, you know, at the time, because I just... It's just in a, it didn't seem right. It didn't seem kosher, so to speak. I don't know. Plus, you had an afro, so it wouldn't have worked Yeah, anyway. there you go. I look at like, <laughs> <laughs> I was a little Italian kid. So, you know, the afro. So, I, I guess I didn't look the part. But I guess uh. maybe if I was prettier and uh, skinny, I'd, I had the right hair, maybe you're right. But I don't it know. It could have worked. <laughs> it's funny. It kind of ruined it, but for and Well, it ruined it, it in did. a way, but it made it better because... You got girls in Yeah, all right, maybe if it a girl. But... Musically, we stood out. Like when we played like a battle of the bands, or we played like a, you know, a mix-up night on the Lamores with five bands. People remembered us because we were more heavier. You know, That's the heavier true. bands stood out. You know, with well, the real fans. Like we all know, Tempest is on the road to a comeback. We're just waiting. Yeah. You to make your move. We're just taking it. You know. One That's of the, all you can do. Just yeah, enjoy and have fun. One week at a time, and whatever happens, happens. That's all. So having Let's... fun, that's the main thing. You know, to be 50 years old and playing again. I mean, I've I've never stopped playing, but to play in a situation, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, hell yeah. And I'm glad that you guys are doing it because... Thank you. Uh, you were a big music. proponent of pushing us all the time, especially in the old days, so... Uh, when you guys are just that good, man. Yeah, thank you. Have us for that good. Well, speaking of another Brooklyn band, I don't know if they're all from Brooklyn anymore, but Gothic Knights? Uh-huh. We had Mario on the show a couple of years back. This singer just quit Rick Sanchez. He quit the band, so they're looking for a new vocalist. Oh. And, uh, they just put out a brand new record, I think, like a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. So he's out of the band. And um, what else? Uh, uh, the singer for Jeff, uh, what is it? Jeff from, I think, uh, Livesay quit the band also. from Greg Livesay's band. Wow. He's, been uh, he's got another band called President Darkness, which is really good. So I guess we wanted to dedicate more time to that group. Uh I think it's Jeff Rose. I'm not even sure. I think I remember the guy's name, right? But I don't worry so, about Yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, anything going on in the world of metal this week? I didn't see nothing happening in, uh, in the headlines. Nothing spectacular off uh, the top of my head, no. 
I tell you, I was reading the I got the Peter Chris book, uh, for, ah. uh Make Up the Break Up for Christmas. Yeah. So I just finished it yesterday. Really good book. Uh-huh. You know, he, he he talks about like uh like what was written in Gene Simmons' book, like contradicting a lot of the stuff that went on in there. Right, right. But, you know, I, like I'm reading the book, and, and it's a great read. It really is. And, you know, he doesn't hold back on himself either. Like he, he you know, I guess as much as he can remember from those days when he was always high, yeah. you know, he, he he relates a lot of it. But after a while, I got to tell you, Peter Chris starts to sound like a crybaby in the book. Yeah, a lot a of while. whining, right? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of whining. Like when when you read the book, it was like, like a month after he joined Kiss, he started threatening to quit. He, he was always threatening to quit the band, for one reason or another. And he, and he says it, you know, he says it in the book. Yeah. No, I told him I would quit. I was going to quit. So then he got like really offended, like you know when he when when the reunion took place, and uh, you know he wasn't getting like a fair share of the money he felt, or you know his he he thought it was going to be like the old days where he was going to come in for a quarter of yeah. the band. And, you know that wasn't going to happen. Right. And he felt he was entitled to that, but you know. That's one thing I gotta disagree about. The other two kept that band going for all those years. Cool. From the ups and downs of metal. He says that the band was never as big as it was when he was in there. Wow. Uh, but you know not true. I don't think that was true. They were still doing in the eighties. They were 80s, still doing stadiums, they're still selling shit. Yeah. I mean yeah, there yeah. was that patch like, you know, from like Unmasked and Dynasty of the Creatures of the Night with, you know, the band and the Elder where right. the band was just shit. They really weren't doing anything. But Creatures of the Night was a great record. Brought the band back, and then when the eighties exploded with the hair metal, Kiss yeah. just went into that, you know, went into that, and they they had those really big records back then. Yeah. They, probably... they did, they did, they got actually airplay and yeah. and MTV, MTV play. That's which right, was huge at the time. I mean, yeah. one video, one video, you know, could sell thousands, thousands of records. Yeah, that's true although, back then. Although I can understand him, I mean, I can understand where he. he it's wrong that you know he can't just walk in and get one quarter, but what they were paying him compared to Ace was you know that, that's well he was he, getting he was getting forty thousand dollars a show for the reunion right and Ace and was Ace getting, was getting fifty oh I heard he was getting a lot more no he says it in the book he oh, was getting yeah? forty and Ace was getting fifty and uh, one night I think Peter Chris's wife was in the bathroom or his girlfriend was in the bathroom with the Ace's girl uh-huh. and uh, she says. Uh, Something about fifty thousand dollars. He says, "No, there's no forty. There's no fifty. And that's what she went and told him, and then uh-huh. things happened. Ace was also getting a, I think like an eleven percent cut. He says in the book of the merchandising, which is probably a lot more money than the fifty grand a show. You know, if you total it up. Right. But he he just completely. But his whole thing is like you know he should have gotten more because he wrote Beth. He wrote Beth. But to me, Beth was like the death nail for Kiss when I was a kid because I didn't want to hear like a symphony song like that. You know. Yeah. Sure. I didn't want to hear that at all, but then he complained about how his records, you know, the record company, you know, kind of like put his records on hold, the solo records, and didn't promote it. But none of I, I don't, I didn't care for any of those solo records. He, he always like wrote like that old fifties R and B, you know, rock and roll stuff, and yeah, that's not what the Kiss fans want to hear. That's not what Kiss fans want to hear. Even Kiss, even like the young girls that liked Peter Chris because you know what he, you know, he, what you know the way he looked, his whatever, like you know, like Alice. Uh, our friend Alice was like a big Peter Chris fan, you know, yeah. and all this. But like when that came out, it's like, you know, she's just like it sucks, you know. Like you know, compared to you yeah, know, Ace's full solo album, yeah. you know, it didn't hold a candle. It was not, yeah. it was not even rock and roll, you know, for what of what Kiss Kiss fans would want. But it 
with it's, his solo album. But you know, you gotta understand that's the way you know that's the way the ball bounces. Of course, well, it's definitely a good book. I would recommend it to anybody. It's a really cool. good read. You know, I thought he would focus more on like his his cancer, like his breast cancer stuff, but he only relegated that to the last few pages of the last chapter. But most of it is about Kiss and like you know his own personal demons and his private life and. But a, a really good book, you know. He bears it all, which is pretty, you know. And, he, and if, it's, if, if it's all true, it's pretty damn good, I have to say. Yeah. All right. You know what? Let me get a song on here because I'm starting to lose my voice. Yeah, Let me get a cough drop out. going. Kenny will be calling in. Uh, matter of fact, Kenny, if you're listening, if you're in the chat, call in now. I'm gonna play a song and uh, we'll get Kenny on. Good idea. All right, hang on. Let me uh, let me see here. We'll do a realm, fate's wind.
Okay, there you go. Realm with Fate's Win. Today, it's time to welcome our Rover correspondent out there, the man who helped abolish slavery, Mr. Ken Pierce. <laughs> Where'd you come up with that one? I don't know. It was just on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> this is this is the fever coming back to you. It's, it's, yeah, it's kicking in again. Well, happy New Year, listeners. How's everybody doing out there today? It's uh, it's great to be it's great to be back for yet another year of of cutting the cheese. Ooh, Ooh. <laughs> I like that. So liberating was, the cheese. What? Liberating the cheese. Liberating <laughs> the cheese. You know, so that was Realm, right? They have like two albums. Yeah, I believe so. So I'm listening to this, and it felt like I was listening to it for the very first time because, you know, I I had the records when they were records, yeah. got CDs somewhere, and I and I haven't listened to them a lot um, since. And it was almost like hearing something new. And uh, I think that's what's great about. Are you are you ready for some flattery? That's yeah. Before I, before I continue, okay, just making sure. So that's what's great about a show like this. You're hearing some stuff that you knew you had, you knew you listened to once or twice before, maybe a lot before in the past, but you kind of lost track of it, and there it is again. It's very true. Did you know that Peter Chris had a nine-inch dick? I did not finish the book yet, so you've just spoiled a part of it for me. Oh, okay. He mentions that like the third chapter, that he had a nine-inch dick. Oh, he does? Yeah. That's nice. I, I did hear the book was very self-serving and very um, <clears throat> un. Uh, he's not taking the blame on a lot of the the stuff that went on as much as he should. Exactly. But exactly. I did hear. But I did hear it's better than the Ace book, which I did never get to read. So. I never read that myself, but this was, I never read Gene's book either. But this is it's pretty good. It's a pretty good read. They're all they're all relatively decent reads, but every time you turn around, there's a new book by someone else. You know, it's just That's like. True. Like I wonder how, how the wives' book is. Um, is the who? Wife. Peter Chris's ex's wife. Ex-wife. Uh, it's mostly a photo book. Oh, okay. That's mostly cool. a photo book of her stuff. Oh, and, that's uh, cool. You know, it's it's a big coffee table book. Um, if you like. Is that the Playboy model one? No, no. the first one, Lydia. Fir- oh, Lydia. Okay, all right. But I'm sure what? if you ask her to be in Playboy, maybe she'll. Uh, yeah. You you know, never back know. then she wouldn't have been good. She was no. she was kind of a pig. Oh, that's not nice. <laughs> well, I'm going to say. Tommy, Tommy, you know in the contract Mike is supposed to be the obnoxious one. <laughs> Do I have to review the papers with the attorneys? <laughs> no, you don't. We're starting off a brand new year here. Oh, my God. So, hey, listen, you know, there's not a lot of shows going on this week, and I think that the uh, the musical realm is uh, is just getting – Getting its uh, its itself wound up, and of course, when I say there's not a lot of shows, I mean in the in the venues that I'm perusing for the sake of our wonderful calendar that uh, you guys are as much a part of as I am. So just so you know, I I, I make sure that I list as many of these great shows uh, to to give your listeners and uh, and now my listeners too uh, a little bit more uh, oomph, you know. But uh, <clears throat> as far as those venues that uh, go to, there's not really a lot of stuff, but this is the kind of thing that uh, now is the time to change the way you perceive the music scene. This is this is what we have to do. Mike, you did a you did a great quote on my uh, resolutions yeah. piece. I really like that, and uh, and I'm I'm calling out to everyone, everyone who hears my voice. Not only come out and like our Facebook and Twitter account, but go to that post on the blog and uh, 
and tell me your metal or music resolution. I want to hear what you're going to do to change the fabric of how we support the scene because, you know, uh, one of my friends uh, was saying we were we were joking about uh, things, and it's not really an insult uh, to Eddie, which I know you'll get disappointed in because you like to taunt about Eddie. On his, but <clears throat> so many of these bands, you know, they're not going to be on that show. So what are what are the rest of us going to do to support the scene, right? Exactly. So we have to we have to do that because you know that that stuff is not going to uh, pay attention to the scene that we uh, we're we're a part of. You know, don't like I said in my quote, Tommy, uh, is I said don't don't tell me you're listening to your Metallica records or your Sabbath and think I'll be impressed. Right. It doesn't impress me. So. Ooh. It doesn't impress me. Well, we all, are there any are there any shows this week? There's a, you know, there is a show, um, and I hate that, Mike. Just in case you forgot, I hate to disappoint you, but uh, Paul Deano is not playing tonight. Though. I know, I know. He's, uh, we're not letting him back in this country. He's banned. <laughs> you're gonna, are you gonna? <laughs> if I can, if I can take my book down well, to maybe the immigration should... and naturalization service. But here's an idea, I would ban Mike. Him. Maybe here's an idea. <laughs> maybe you should dress up uh, with like a, like a Gaddafi and go down to the plane when he's getting off. With a yeah. sign that says Diano. <laughs> oh, shit. Why not? Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> no offense to the listeners that actually like Gaddafi, by the way. <laughs> but uh, just something like that to just, uh, oh, wait, there's a problem here. Why is he? Get him back on the plane uh, and send him back. Uh, all right, but anyway, there is there is one show that I know about, and it's Johnny Winter over at BB King Blues Club. He's starting his winter in winter residency, and that's going to be great because, you know, Johnny Winter, while it's not a, a metal show by any stretch of the imagination, it is a uh, great guitarist who many of our metal legions who sling the axe were were fans of, you know. Uh, and you, you got to know that guys like Shanker and guys like Malmsteen and stuff had to had listen to a little bit of Johnny Winter growing up yeah. and, uh, and had to find him of some influence. Right, Tommy? And even if they didn't directly, indirectly, you know, through their, you know, whoever they listened to, listened to Johnny Winter. And Johnny Winter definitely, you know, with the blues and all that, you know, you can't deny it. You can't deny it. It's not the, it's, it's the roots. Definitely and you know roots. something, and a metalhead who goes to that show will not be disappointed in one other cool fact that I was telling Mikey about one time. Uh, the guitarist, Paul... Paul Nelson is from Liege Lord. Remember oh, wow. Liege Lord? Yep. Yeah. So he is the, uh, he's like the second guitar player, so he'll do, oh, huh? He's the second guitar. He's the second guitarist in the band, and oh. so, and he's over there. Got to get him on the show and talk about, that would be great, you know, talk about how uh, the transition from being like in a metal band like that, that, so. Because remember, Le- you you got to remember the Liege Lord was ahead of their time in the kind of playing that they were doing. They sure were. And, and speaking of Liege Lord, uh, Joe Como, the singer, is going to be on the band, and uh, I think the end of this month. Oh, very nice. Yeah, very so nice. They reunited this year, and well, last year we're in 2013. I got back together last year, and I'm going to hit the festival circuit this summer, I'd imagine. That'll be good. So how are you feeling? I know you're sick as a dog. Uh, I'm feeling terrible. So I'm just trying to get through this show, and I should be up and run by. By the next one. Okay. And your wife isn't sending you out to the store even though you're sick, you know? No, 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 no. I gave it to her now, so she's bedridden. 
That's not really good. It's a, it's a bad flu season out there. It is. It's terrible. If you didn't get the shot, and they and they know that our listeners are getting mad at us just jiving away, but uh, well, that's why we're going to cut you off now. I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave right now and and let you get back <laughs> to things. But don't worry, everybody. There are a lot of shows coming up, and it's going to start. Uh, it starts next week. There's a lot more events coming, and uh, and what you guys can do is all get out to as many things as you can possibly afford, and support the scene because, like I say, <clears throat> it's. It needs you, and 2013 is the is the time to prove it, man. Just just get it going. So I hate to have no real information for you other than that, but happy New Year to all. Remember, you can find Piercing Metal over on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. And like I said, go down to the Piercing Metal blog by uh, hitting the site and blog link, and let me know what you're gonna do. What is your music resolution for the year? And I, I look forward to seeing uh, your comments. Okay, so cheers, guys. Have Thank a you very much, Ken. One. Feel better, brother. Bye. Talk to you next week. Thank you, buddy. Yep. All right. It's a slow start to the concert season over here, but uh, it'll start picking up. All right. Let me see. You know what, T? Let's do our demolition segment, get that out of the way. Then we can oh. just play some music over here. This week, it's a band called Star Child. I wanted to play some. We were talking about Kiss because, you know, I think it's Star Child, Kiss. Ah. They kind of went together, but I uh, got ahead of myself there, and Kenny came on. But uh, they're a Canadian band. Like all the other Canadian bands, they sound like an off-take of... Triumph, who was an off-take of Rush, and, you know, down the line, so. They were a good hard rock band. They had a few albums out and this demo tape, so go to the block spot right now and download yourself a copy of it. Here's the title of it, Steamroller Rock.
in case you didn't get the title of that song, it's Metal Never Dies. That's Max Links over there for you. You know, T, I was just looking around on the internet. I said the Scorpions decided not to retire. Yeah. They're going to keep going on, and they're going to put out a new record this year. Hey, good for them, man. Right? So did I mean, that whole retirement thing was just like a gimmick to get people to the show? No, I don't think it was. I think it was maybe, you know, they honestly felt tired and all that, but then they got rejuvenated because people actually came out to the shows and were excited to see them, and... I don't. I don't think it was a ploy like like a Kiss thing or a Rolling Stones thing. It was just one of those things, you know. They ended up. I, from what I'm excited is they say. I, I hope they better songs than throwaway songs. But they say that they have material from a few albums, a few recording sessions. I hope it was from the good albums. So yeah, well, it was um, like Savage Amusement, Crazy. Wow. Uh, you know, like the. The more commercial albums, yeah. But what I'm thinking is maybe the heavier songs that just didn't fit onto the commercial albums. I'm mm-hmm. keeping my fingers crossed. That could um, be interesting. Yeah, and I don't. The way the article was, in, it was in Blabbermouth. I got. Uh, I forgot exactly. Um, I'm not sure if um, they said they were re-recording it or just taking the, you know, taking the original tracks and fixing them up. But. Um, that should be cool. I mean, it's it's not from the early albums, you know, really early. Yeah. But um, you know, like um, Blackout was one of them, definitely. And um, the album and the next the uh, three or four that came out after Black Blackout. So all right, they were commercial albums, so maybe you know I'm thinking yeah. maybe there's heavier song. I mean, you're never gonna get you know he's a woman, she's a man from Scorpions anymore. You're never gonna get in trance and you know I know. Dark lady. Well, well, I, I mean, think you know, the tale was a good record. The, the last one that came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, that's album. what I'm saying. So you know if I if you can give me a blackout or animal magnetism, that type of album, I'll be happy. You know, even singing the tale, that wasn't bad. And some of some of the sequential albums that came out right before Singing the Tale, they had some good songs on them, yeah. but they were basically going for that world commercial sound. So you would hear, you know, a lot of ballads and stuff like that, you know. But you know, see, the, the European bands always get like a a pass for me because you know, they, you know, they they more I don't know they're more. True to their music, they're not like an American band with the electric, with the, uh, um, with the, the record company. You know, makes them put at, put on. Uh, you know what I mean? I know, they, they're more they true want, to their music. They, the, the English. Uh, the English I know what you're saying. They they stay true to their music. They started with and right. over here, it's so like if the record really company like. manager says, you know, right. write a commercial song, they do it. There you go. Exactly. You hear I know. Uh, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm looking forward to. It. I mean. I mean, when I, back in the '80s, when I was going to shows, the Scorpions was always—they were always a headlining act. You know, they—they they headlined the arenas. We saw them a couple of years ago when they came by our way. They sounded great. They looked great yeah, for the So I'm hoping that you know, I, I've seen a lot of people coming out because it was the retirement tour. You know, people didn't want to miss them or see them one last time. But let's see if they can go back to selling out those you know 13,000 seat arenas when they come back out on tour again. But. And it'd be interesting to see what they do. I also saw that uh, Rob Caggiano, the guitar player of Anthrax, left the band. Yeah. Not that anybody cares, but, you know, he's yeah. gone. I'm waiting for Joey Belladonna to leave the band, because that's when uh, Scotty says he was going to break it up. Uh, so, Joey, come on. Let's get that solo career going again. Leave Anthrax. Let's uh, end really? that nightmare. All right, enough of that. I got to get some music on. I'm starting to lose my voice yeah, again. Definitely, man. 
All right, we got Ray LeGrand from Oblivion Myth calling in about 10 minutes or so. So don't forget to tune in for that. Let me see what I got lined up over here. All right, how about some Heathen's Rage? So-called Dark Storm.
right, that was Sarah Thungo with Edge of a Knife. And Tommy, right now we have our second and final guest of the night online with us, Mr. Hi. Ray Legrand from Oblivion Myth. Ray, how are you, buddy? Hey, what's up, Mikey? How's it going? I'm doing all right, Ray. I, I apologize. I'm sick as a dog, so forgive me for the way I sound. You, you sound just like you always do to me, brother. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but thank you anyway. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I appreciate you calling it. I know Sunday is a busy day for you. Uh, besides the bands and the music, you're very active in your church and, and feeding the homeless. You're just like an all-around good guy. Yeah, you know, I go to one of these churches that doesn't have any walls, you know. Uh, literally, uh, what we do is we go and we feed the homeless in their house. We go to where they live, and we meet under a bridge in downtown Nashville, and uh, we go take care of people who are, you know, homeless, displaced, and hungry. We don't question them. We don't judge them. We just take care of them. And, uh, you know, it's it's something my family and I have just always, always done. And uh, we're proud to be able to continue to do that here in Nashville. You know, I did that when I lived up in New York. And uh, come down here, and there's, you know, it's funny. We find out that uh, throughout the Mid-South, a lot of these big cities like Atlanta and places like that that are close by, their homeless policy is a one-way bus ticket to Nashville. And so there's a pretty significant, um, you know, homeless population here, and uh, we just do our best to take care of our brothers. And i got to tell you, when I look around under that bridge, there's a lot of piercings, a lot of tattoos, a lot of long hair, drumsticks sticking out of the back of the pockets. Yeah, Music City brings a lot of our metal brothers down into this place, and they can't always make it on their own, and they, they wind up coming to us for food. You do a great job there. We need more, we need more people like you in the world. You know, we're making a, a much better place to live in. Uh, all it takes is you know somebody to just do something. You know, a lot of people say, "Man, this is really cool. I'd love to be able to help out." It's like, look, you know, I have time. I don't have money. I go and I do sweat equity. You know, some people have money. You know, hey, you know, throw a couple bucks at one of these organizations that does this type of work. And for some people, like I said, that are like me, hey, you know, you come out and serve on a weekend or something like that. It's a good thing. It really doesn't take a whole lot of effort. It's just if we had more people that were willing to give a little bit, the job would get done. And, hey, it's a great opportunity to get out there and see what the world is really like outside your living room, too. That's so true. You know, when people think of Nashville, hard rock and heavy metal is not the first type of music that comes to mind. But you've got a really active scene down there. Yeah, you know. But you got an active scene. You know, it, it's kind of funny, Mike. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention, you know, we had talked a little bit before the show here, and I wanted to pull together a couple of things that we've got going on. I really perceive that Nashville has the potential, and I want to say it that way, has the potential to become the next epicenter for heavy music in the United States. Of course, you know, we had the the, the punk rock scene in the 70s up in New York, and then you know, in the 80s, you've got the L.A. metal scene, you've got the, you know, the San Francisco Bay Area thrash scene, then you've got the Seattle grunge scene, and to a degree, you know, even to this day, uh, you've got the New England, you know, hardcore metalcore thing, but, you know, when you ask the average listener, you know, where is the, the home of heavy music this, these days in the United States, they go, I don't know. And uh, there's so much industry that's here. There, most of the touring that goes out all across the country leaves from Nashville. You know, you got Deep Purple recording a record down here right now on Music Row. You've got all these bands that come in to record. You know, Doc McGee has an office down here on Music Row. Uh, you look at the, um, you know, the folks that we, you know, grew up with that we know and love from the 80s that have 
since relocated to Nashville. You know, you got your John Carabis and your Mark Slaughters, and you know, if you're running the Vinnie Vincent, you hide your dog. But you know, you, you got so many of these guys <laughs> that are here. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. You know, Ray, Oblivion Myth, 2012 seemed to be a trying year for the band. You had members come and go, trying to keep it going. 2013 didn't start off much better for you guys with everything going on with Chris. Yeah, um, you know, a little bit of backstory. Oblivion Myth is, is the band that doesn't stop for anything. I don't know if we're just too committed or too stupid. Uh, you know, we're, we're basically a melodic metal band that played for two years without a bass player. And people look at us and they go, dude, that's just nuts. Why would you do that? And we say, because nothing is ever going to stop us. And we continued to do it. And, you know, people who came out to the shows, they would stop us afterwards and they'd say, I'm really surprised. It actually sounded great considering you didn't have a bass player. So we don't stop. But, yeah, this this has been, um, you know, trying over the past couple of, uh, well, I was, I was going to say past couple of weeks, but it feels like that. But this all happened on New Year's Day. Yeah. And just for a little bit of background, um, I came home. And uh, my phone started ringing uh, the other day, and, and people are asking me, what's going on with Chris? And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And they said, turn on the news. And uh, allegedly, and of course, I want to say it that way, because none of us know exactly what happened. We're going to wait and see how it comes out in the courts. But allegedly got into an altercation with a woman, and uh, the way the headlines read is that she was dangled, quote-unquote, uh, from a third-story balcony that, uh, that Chris apparently hoisted her over. And again, look, you know, there's so many different ways this can be spun and interpreted. We don't want to, you know, play into that at all. We just want to wait and see what the courts decide. I can tell you this. Originally, his bail was set at $100,000, which tells you it was viewed very seriously. Of course, but yeah. this this Friday, it was dropped to 15000 Still very significant, but a huge drop. And then he is out on bail. So we do hope that that is an early indicator that this will go his way and that we can just get this all behind him. Uh, you know, we're really pulling for our brother and hope everything works out. But, yeah, I mean, what a shock. How do you, you know, how do you, how, what do you do with that? <laughs> I know, that's, that's like out of the blue. I couldn't even imagine. Right. Uh, how does that affect the band? I mean, like right now. I mean, are you guys going to continue on with whatever you have planned, or? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, like I said, are we too committed or too stupid? I'm not sure which it is. Um, Chris had actually left the band in the past, and uh, our other guitar player, Keith Smith, who's a founding member, wound up just covering Chris's parts. Um, and at this point, that's that's what we're going to do. We're just going to continue on as a four piece. We really can't think about what's going to happen with Chris because quite honestly, you know, we don't know. He's got a, a trial coming up quickly, it seems, on the 8th, so this coming week. Hopefully we'll know more then, but uh, for the foreseeable future, you know, we got a couple of big gigs coming up. Uh, one of them is a, is a kind of a big deal here in Nashville. We're playing with um, Inner Siege and Theocracy, and Theocracy just got a, a huge international following. We're very excited. We've shared yeah. stage with them before. And uh, to be able to have them come up and play in our sandbox is a big deal. And uh, tickets are selling pretty well for that sucker. And, again, it's it's uh, branded as Sanctuary from the Streets. It's a fundraiser for the uh, the work that I do uh, with the homeless uh, with a, a good friend of mine, Pastor Bob Beeman, heavy metal pastor, who started Intense Records back in the day and was largely responsible for the careers of uh, – 
you know, Striper and White Cross, Deliverance, Vengeance, all those big heavy bands from back in the day. Wow. And so, uh, you know, it's great to have him on our team, and I'm glad that I can do something with that. But as far as Chris is concerned for that event and the other ones, you know, regionally that we've got coming up, we're just going to go out as a four-piece. It's really the only thing that we can do right now. But we, rest assured, Oblivion Myth will not be stopped. No, I don't think anything can stop you guys. You keep going. I mean, I was lucky to even have you call in today because I saw that you were nominated for Best Vocalist at the yeah. Music City Man so I thought it might have got to your head. You said, you know what? I'm beyond that show right now. Yeah. Oh, well, man, you know, the, being nominated for Best Vocalist in uh, Metal Vocalist in Nashville, you know, it's an honor. Uh, but, you know, those things are all decided by a panel, too. So the one that really makes a difference to us, and by the way, Keith Smith is nominated for Best Metal Guitar Player, and we're, we're very glad to be recognized amongst our peers because, you know, let, let's put it this way. When you're recognized for your musical talent in the music city, it does say something. Um, so, you know, we do appreciate that. But the one that we're really after, and quite honestly, when the voting starts, Mikey, I want to know if I can count on you to help get the word out. We're up for people's choice, and people that love us from everywhere, you know, inside and outside the Music City can vote on that one. That's the one that means something to us for real, and so we'd like, to, we'd really like to win that one. Sure, that, that, that's definitely more important, because, you know, those are the people that care about you in the music, and listen, I play Blue right. on the show all the time. I support you guys. You know you got my vote, and I, I say this every time I play your music on the show, Mike. You're one of the last great metal vocalists out there. There's a few other ones, but, I mean... It, it seems like the vocals today, they're not what they should be, or, or what well, I guess what I like. You know, you get a yeah. lot of that growling stuff. You really know how to sing, and that's a rarity today. I really appreciate that, and it means a lot coming from you. So thank you very much, Mike. Uh, anytime, don't worry about it. I think you're great. But what I want to talk about now is a little project you got going on with some family members, like Graham <laughs> Brute. I, that, right, I played that song. I was like, you were like, I don't know if it would be your company. I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. <laughs> it, it is a pre-release version, just so that we're clear on that. Um, I do have a Grammy Award-winning uh, producer here in Nashville that checked it out um, and really digs it. He's worked with some very epic stuff before. It's symphonic power metal. And basically what had happened was when, uh, you know, when we lost our, our drummer, Patrick Nichols, founding drummer in the Nashville iteration of Oblivion Myth, which, by the way, Oblivion Myth 2013, this should be a good year. This will be the band's 10th year uh, in existence. Uh, originally started out of the area, but the version that most people know of is the Nashville version, and, and Patrick was the uh, founding drummer for the Nashville iteration. When we lost him, uh, it just sent us in a bit of a spiral. Like I said, we were playing without a bass player. We had no rhythm section at that point. So Keith and I started working on side projects. Uh, Keith does a, uh, if you've ever seen photographs of guitarist Keith Smith, he looks like James Hetfield from the 80s. And so he started a uh, Metallica tribute band called Damage. And boy, they're killer. If you ever get a chance to see them, they're amazing. It's like being at a Metallica show. Wow. And I started a side project going off more into, you know, a little bit bigger music than even Oblivion Myth, uh, adding the symphonic elements. My brother uh, produces um, basically independent movie soundtracks is what it boils down to. So a lot of big, epic arrangements. And I worked with him in the past, but I, I wanted to do something with him. And my son is an aspiring musician, been doing a lot here on the scene. And uh, I was like, well, let's just make sense. Let's work with them together, the three of us. It's basically a recording project. Uh, but I looked at the name, you know, Legrand, our, our name translates to the great in French. 
And so I said, hmm, what can I do with that? And uh, so it's Le Grand Brie, and Brie actually is directly translated as sound, so the name of the band is The Great Sound. It fits the music perfect, man. (laughs) I mean, it definitely has that symphonic element to it, but it's so much more than that. It's an amazing song, and if you don't mind, I'm going to play it today on the show. I'd rather play that than Oblivion Me, because I play it all the time. I want people to hear this new stuff you got going on. Oh, that's cool, man. I appreciate that. Uh, so it, it must be great to work with your son. I mean, you got your brother who you probably played with before work, but now you got your son involved in it too. That's got to be a great thing. That you feel like you're old enough now where your kid is playing music, and you guys are both playing, you know, you're into the same thing. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, my son is – I've got four kids. He's the third out of four but my oldest son, and a very talented young man. He's a brilliant actor. Um, He's got auditions in North Carolina this week for uh, some TV show that's blowing up, I don't Revolution or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. Yeah, so he's he's going out. They wanted him to come audition for that. He auditions with Disney every other month. I don't know. They don't ever seem to pick him, but he's definitely one of the ones they keep on top of because they keep calling him. Anyway, so brilliant actor, brilliant, you know, with his photography and his artist eye and his music. I was so glad when he turned 13, he started playing Guitar Hero, and I was like, well, this is good, but, and I put an SG in his hands, and it took him about six months to really pick it up, but when he did, boy, oh, did he. And now it's funny, you know, he walks around and he goes, Dad, you know, I hate to say it, he's like, but uh, you're playing like Hammerfall and Ed Guy all the time, and these guys are like old, but holy crap, they're really good. I can't stop listening to it. And it's influencing him. So now he's writing that style. And I was like, man, I, I got to bring you in this project that I'm doing with my brother. And he's been a key contributor. It's it's an amazing thing to have my brother and my son in this project. Uh, I can only imagine. Uh, do you think this is something that you, you're going to continue with or maybe expand on? Because I hope it's just not like a one-off thing because it's really something that should be heard by everybody. Well, quite honestly, Mike, I mean, this is, you know, tonight literally will be the first time that anybody outside of those that are, you know, really close and and geographically close will have heard this. So, you know, I'm curious to see what the response is. We've got a catalog of ideas that we've been working on. But quite honestly, you know, when you're working with 40, 50 tracks of music, there's a lot of effort that goes into this. And then when you get a Grammy Award winner that's going to, you know, do the final production on it. There's also a few dollars that go into it. And so, you know, I want to invest in this because I believe in it. And everybody who's listened to it so far does really seem to like it. We hope to be able to release it to iTunes once, uh, once that's ready and see what it'll do. And if it gets some attention, then, yeah, you can rest assured you will see some more from this project. I hope so. It does have to be an expensive proposition. I mean, not only this, but Oblivion Myth, because... You know, the bands today, they have to finance everything on their own. There's no support or help coming from anywhere. So it's yeah. got to be difficult trying to come up with, you know, the funds to keep everything going. That's right. And and Oblivion Myth has been working very hard to, you know, record new material. And, and, you know, when you can't pay thousands and thousands of dollars out of your own pocket because you're, you know, you're financing it with your lunch money at this point, most of us, you know. It's like you're just trying to keep merch on the table. And then, you know, when you got to, you know, step up the game and get a recording that really works, it costs some serious money. Yeah, there's Kickstarter out there and things like that, but, you know, these days you really don't make as much money off your off your recordings. You really make it off the road. And so, you know, that's the other thing Oblivion Myth needs to, to raise money for. We're in the middle of booking a, a couple of European 
um, festival dates uh, through some contacts that we have, you know, including Bob Beeman, who runs a couple of these, like, um, uh, uh, oh, well, anyway, he runs a number of them. I just went right out of my head. I hate it. out of brain okay. blood. But, uh, you know, there's, yeah, I'm getting old. There's a couple of them overseas that are going on, right? Elements of Rock is the one I was thinking of, uh, which we're not going to be able to make in March. But it uh, looks like in the fall we'll be able to do a couple of dates overseas. And, and quite honestly, when I look through, you know, all of our online statistics through our various social media pages, I realize that Oblivion Myth and potentially Le Grand Brie, when that starts to take flight, you know, um, only about 35% of the, the fans are U.S.-based. Everything is overseas. And it, it's interesting to find that, at least for me, I would have thought it would have been in Germany and places like that. Uh, and there is a, a European element, but the majority of it that we're finding is in Asia and is in the Middle Eastern countries. And at first, when I saw Middle East, I saw Baghdad popping up and things. I was like, oh, well, it must be the soldiers. But I'm finding that, no, there's just a, a huge uh, component out in the Middle East that, that just loves this style of music. And I'm just really honored to, uh, to be able to get the music out through, you know, what's, let's face it. This really is an international scene anymore. You don't release something to one place. You release it to the whole world. And it's just great to be able to be accepted that way as well. I think, with you know, because of the, the Internet and everything, I, I think you're right. You don't, like, try to, like, conquer your own, you know, city first and state, then your country. It goes global today. Everything goes all over the place. And uh, there is a big scene out in the Middle East because I get a lot of, uh, you know, bands from out that way always send me songs to play. It's not what I would play on the show, but I'm like, I can't believe how many there are out there. People just don't realize that, that there's an active scene there. But do you think that that, in a way, that's good that you could find out where the bulk of your fans come from? and direct, you know, the band's energies towards that area, or do you still try to concentrate on everybody? Well, you you do still have to try to concentrate on everybody because, you know, it's like a, a good friend of mine in the industry here has said, you know, when, when I talked about putting new music out, he says, you know, the music that you got is still new to a lot of people. And uh, that's the point, is there are fans all over the world that have never heard of us. You know, um, I'm looking at some of the comments online, um, you know, with the, the guitar player, with Chris Selby, this thing that we've got going on, and it's hitting Metal Injection and Blabbermouth and Metal Wire and all these all these big, big news sites. And you look at some of the comments, and you, you see people underneath going, who, you know, even who is this band? And that's the whole point, is that you realize that there's a much larger audience out there that doesn't know who you are. And I hate to think that, I guess it is kind of, I can see that it's true in the numbers when I look at them, that there really is no such thing as bad press. I hate that it comes to this, but, sure. um, you know, because we're really pulling for Chris. That's that's what's important to us. But even something like this winds up getting added exposure for us. And the reality is, yes, you have to keep a, a broader focus because there are so many people who haven't heard you. But, yeah, don't think I don't go and use Google Translate and throw stuff into Arabic and Indonesian sure. and tweet out to those people. And, yeah, I mean, because i got to tell you, you get responses from them, too. Oh, uh, without a doubt. I know, I know it's like you're saying, you don't want the attention the way it's coming to you, but it will bring attention to the band. And, and yeah. I know I hate to say that's a good thing, you know, in a bad situation, but unfortunately it is what it is. But do you think in 2013 we might get a new record by Oblivion Myth? Is it a possibility? I really want to say yes to that. Um, but if I'm honest, I think what's probably going to happen is we've got a couple of things that were recorded with the previous lineup that, that have never been released uh, that are still being worked on. And I think what you'll probably see is some 
and again, it'll be new to everybody else who hears it for the first time, you'll hear some of that. And then what we really want to do is we just want to get away from the legacy stuff that we've been trying to record for all these years. And at this point, just do a big writing session and get something done with the new lineup. The relationship that I'm forging with this producer here in Nashville that's working with Le Grand Prix, uh, has said that he would like to work with Oblivion Myth as well, and that's part of the reason for doing these two projects. And the hope is that, you know, if we get some attention through the Le Grand Prix project, that, uh, you know, it will help us to finance some of the Oblivion Myth stuff and that we could put something out. But, you know, we're also going to take our time and make sure that it sounds right. So I really don't expect that you'll hear brand-new material that's been written in 2013. I think what will happen is you'll see some more demos come out from us that have been previously recorded and will get released, and we'll make those all free because of the quality because um, it's not up to muster as far as we're concerned. But uh, you will know that uh, we will be doing writing sessions, and the hope would be that we'll put something out in 2014. Oh, hey, well, you know what? That's only 12 months away. That's not too bad. <laughs> this is true. It's all a matter of perspective. Yeah, you can't. Hey, the guest I had on before you, the last record came out 27 years ago, so you guys got them beat. It's no big deal. That's right. That's it happens. Right. But, you know, it's like you were saying before, you know, trying to, like, string a tour together and, and put the album out. It all costs money, everything. Yeah. Even, how is it even possible to take the band on the road, uh, you know, without funding or backing from somewhere? It's almost impossible. It's really difficult, you know. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example, you know, talking about the, the Middle Eastern connection. I do a lot of projects here in Nashville. I run an organization, a grassroots a promotional organization for the heavy music scene here in Nashville. It's called Nashville Metal Bands. You can find it at facebook.com slash Nashville Metal Bands. And uh, so I don't really do um, shows a lot. I, I do a couple a year. Uh, the Sanctuary from the Streets event that I'm referring to is a Nashville Metal Bands show. But I get people coming to me all the time thinking that I book shows. And, uh, like, I remember last year uh, I had multiple calls from Akasukados Management, and that's the band from Heavy Metal from Baghdad, from that movie. Okay. And, you know, a band that has a name, you know, a band that has, you know, big international draw, but quite honestly trying to get the, the um, you know, the guarantees that are not really outlandish, but just trying to land a guarantee for a band like that. I couldn't put it together. I couldn't pull them out here on the scene. They've got a bigger name than we do probably because of the documentary, which, by the way, there is actually a film crew that is talking to us about using us as a key uh, artist in a uh, film that will be coming out hopefully in 20, late 2014, 2015 that focuses on the, the southeast regional metal scene. And okay. so if that works out, it's really in development stages. But you may see us in a documentary film in that time frame. It would be starting to record in the next couple of months. It would be cool. But, uh, you know, even even with a band that has a name like that, it's tough getting the guarantees. So when we're telling, you know, these clubs in, you know, a couple hundred miles away, hey, we want to come, and they're like, yeah, we want to have you. It's like, well, what's the guarantee? And they're like, well, we can give you a door split. Yeah. It's like, well, that that's great, you know. We'll we'll probably do okay because we promote hard, but uh, you know, it's it's a crapshoot sometimes. And when you're just all piling in a van and you know throwing the trailer behind you, and you got to make sure that you actually do have the money to get home because it's not always guaranteed. It's tough. I know it, it, it's a rough business. Nobody will ever deny that. It's hard. But you know, Ray, we only got five minutes left in the show. I want to get the song on. What do you got yeah. coming up next, uh, music wise? 
music-wise, like I keep talking about, the big thing for us is this Sanctuary from the Streets event. And I really want to encourage everybody to go check it out. Um, if you go to facebook.com slash Oblivion Myth fan page, that's probably the easiest place to go, you'll see a lot of information in there about the Sanctuary from the Streets event. Click on the event. You'll see a lot of uh, things in there about why we're doing this. Just last week, there was a homeless guy who died on the streets of uh, on the uh, steps of a church, froze to death. You know that's part of the reason why we do this stuff. There's ways that you can donate. In fact, you can go to PastorBobBeeman.com and you can make a donation to help buy emergency sleeping bags that keep these people alive in this cold weather. We really appreciate the support. I was just going to say that if people can't make it to the show because they don't live in the area, there is a way to donate. They can just go to the website to find that out. Yeah. And it looks like this may wind up as a uh, pay-per-view Ustream event as well. We're negotiating with uh, the Rutledge in downtown Nashville uh, on that front. And uh, Theocracy will be playing their entire As the World Bleeds CD from cover to cover, something they've never done. Uh, there is talk that uh, that's something that people are really going to want to see. So whether it does hit Ustream or if they decide to record it and release it as a live record, which is still you know, something that they could do, we don't know. But uh, this, this this is going to be a historic night, that's for sure. Uh, I tell you, I wish I was in the area, Ray. I'd be right up front. I, uh... I believe you. All right. Well, Ray, I'm going to have to cut you loose. We're down to exactly five minutes, and I want to get your song on. But I appreciate you calling in today, Ray. And, you know, you're always welcome on anytime you want. Appreciate it, Mike. Always always appreciate the support. You're a good egg. You, you are not a pineapple. We love you. Uh, I appreciate that. I'm going to tell my wife you just said that. <laughs> All right, right. Take care, buddy. It was good talking to you again. All righty, Mikey. All right, take care. Mr. Ray Legrand from Oblivion Myth and Legrand Breet. We're going to get on that song, Endure, and it should take us right to the end. Here you go.
that's some killer stuff. The song is Endure. Check out Oblivion Myth. And I want to thank my guest tonight, Mick Percy from Battle Axe and Ray Legrand from Oblivion Myth. Tate, we're all done, buddy. All right, my friend. That was an exciting night, man. Yeah, very good. And we made it through without coughing once on air, so not bad. God bless you, man. All right, buddy. I'll yourself, and I'll uh, talk to you soon. You got it, buddy. I'll talk to you this week. God bless everybody. All right. Take care. I want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks for hanging out. Hopefully, I'll be much better on Thursday's show. Not that it matters with my voice anyway. But uh, this Thursday in the Metal Matinee at 12 p.m., another song versus song. Dug up another hour's worth of music by bands who sound the exact same. So don't forget to tune in for that. I'll talk to everybody later. Hopefully, this work week will go by real quick. Take care, everyone.